All right, we are back to podcast, and um, hope everyone has had a good week, and we are thankful uh, for the, the good Lord and all that He's done for us, and just uh, the blessings of this week, and um, He's been better to us than we deserve. And I want you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of First Samuel, chapter sixteen. First Samuel sixteen. We have been waiting to get here. Our, uh, our study uh, teaching on David. David uh, is one of my favorite characters in the Scripture. Uh, outside of Jesus, then Paul, John, it would have to be David. Uh, David may even be right there after the Lord. Paul, John, and David are all right there together. And um, it, there's it's just so so in depth with what we're learning about David and what what we'll go into. Um, It's a good possibility it'll branch into the Psalms. Um, But it's not, it's so practical. David went through so much. And my opening comments, and I've made this statement several times, is God himself, God himself in Acts said that David was a man after his own heart. That's in Acts. That's long after David's life was over, meaning all of the good and all of the bad, all the the highs and all the lows were all there. And they're highlighted. They're there for the world to see. You know, if man wrote a book and man was trying to convince the world that this was the book from God, then it would be the propensity of man to leave out the black marks, to leave out the sins, to leave out the faults, the failures, the problems. But you see, this isn't just a book given to us by man. This is a book inspired by God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It is a God-breathed, God-inspired book. Men were simply the penmen, not the author. Men were the they they were dictating it, or, or God was dictating it as as man put the pen to paper. So, understanding that, God chose to highlight failures, to highlight problems, to highlight falls, even among his greatest. Even among the one person he said was after mine own heart. So, let's get introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. What we're doing, we're transitioning from Saul to David, and as we transition from Saul to David, of course, it's time. It's time to do that. Saul's partial obedience, of course, was complete disobedience, and it's led him to lose the throne, to lose the people, and now David will arrive on the scene. Now, understanding that, God, 
picking the next king. God picking the next one in charge. Again, if this were man, we would look for credentials. If this were man, we would look for seminaries. Go to the most well-known seminary and look for the best and the biggest and the brightest. The colleges, the best, the biggest and the brightest. The upper crust, that's what man would look for. Not God. God, ladies and gentlemen, goes to the sheep coats. He goes to the backside of the Judean hillside. He goes and he finds a little ruddy shepherd, young man, and he says, there's my king. That's who I'm picking. Y'all want Saul, I'm picking David. So let's go to 1 Samuel 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So the horn, horn of oil would be to anoint the, the new king. And... I do preach a message on Samuel concerning this this horn of oil. It should have always been filled. It wasn't filled because Samuel was so busy. And let us take in practicality that lesson right there. Let us never get too busy to not be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when we see oil in the Scriptures, it is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we are should never be so busy that we're not filled with this spirit where we have time with him and fellowship with him. So God gives specific instructions. He said, I want you to go to Jesse. Jesse is from Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. Jesse is the father of David. And he says, I have provided me a king among his sons. So Jesse's going to have some sons and there's a king, the one that God provided is among them. He said, I have, I'm the one that's provided this. And he said, I've provided me a king among his sons. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. So naturally they they would know the mindset of, of Saul very well, that he would want to kill whoever was taking the next office of the king. They knew well the jealousy and the envy and the hate, uh, the animosity that Saul would be filled with. In verse number three, in Jesse, and call Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Camest thou peaceably? So they were concerned, Why, what are you doing here? And he said, Peaceably, I am come unto sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he called them to the sacrifice. 
And it came to pass. So this this I am come to sacrifice since the fall of Shiloh, which would have been in First Samuel 4, uh, there'd been no regular tabernacle services. So Samuel, of course, is the acting as a priest, and he went from town to town calling the people together for a time of confession and worship. So basically, he was a circuit-riding preacher. Um, when Shiloh fell, they, they weren't able to, to have a tabernacle set up. And so uh, Samuel would just go in circuit from town to town, which would again describe for us another reason why his, his horn needed to be full, full of oil or filled with oil because he was so busy. Don't get too busy that you don't have time to fill yourself up with the Spirit of God. Verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So as he approaches the sons, he comes first upon Eliab. Eliab must have had something that attracted uh, Samuel, something that would stand out to him, that he would make a great king. Well, he says, in fact, he's so certain of it. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I find that amazing to me. This is Samuel. This is a man of God. This is the man of God. This is the office holder of prophet and priest um, doing so as king at times and judge. And he is sure that this is the one. He's positive of it. You know, people can be so sure of things, positive of it, by what they feel inside or what they're quote-unquote impressed upon. But you, you don't run your life by your feelings as a Christian. If you do, you'll always go astray. You'll always give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When you run on feelings, you're not running on faith. You run on feelings, you are running on flesh. The carnal man, the carnal person. This is Samuel. Samuel's not noted to be fleshly. Samuel's not Saul. Samuel is not Eli. Samuel is godly. And Samuel is sure that Eliab is going to be the king. The problem is God's got other plans even superseding what Samuel would think. Verse number 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. So don't look at his face. Stay, now watch this. Or on the height of his stature. Don't look how tall he is, how big he is, his physical appearance. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not, you remember you remember what the Bible said about Saul? That he stood head and shoulders above all the men of the kingdom. When you were to look at a crowd of men, the one that was standing the tallest and the highest and the broadest was Saul. And the people wanted him because of the way he looked. And God said, all right, 
And guess what it was? It was a big mess. So God's going to ensure that we don't make this mistake again. So Samuel looks at Eliab, and obviously Eliab is larger. Obviously Eliab is looking the part. And now Samuel takes this occasion, or God takes this occasion, to teach us something about what he chooses and what he chooses to do. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Remember when we started this, when I told you David is noted for being a man after God's own heart. That lets us know that outward appearance, outward titles, outward works, outward talk, outward profession, outward religious speaking, whatever. That's letting us know there that that doesn't always equate what's in someone's heart. In fact, I have found that a lot of outward religious exercise is a cover-up for somebody that's got a wicked heart. And so, especially the overly religious type. And so Saul says, look, or Samuel said, God tells Samuel, he says, I don't want you looking at his height. I don't want you measuring him by your standards. I want you to pick whom I tell you to pick based on what I see in his heart. Because all you can see is the outside, but I, as God, can see their hearts. And I know what is in this boy's heart, basically a boy at this point, and I know why I want to choose him. Let's continue. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. So the dad takes Abinadab. So the dad's even a part of this. So you got Samuel choosing and you got the dad going to get him. And he brings his other son, Abinadab, by. And the Bible says he passes Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? So Samuel's starting to wonder. He's like, hold on a minute. God said he would be chosen from the house of Jesse. He'd be one of Jesse's sons. Jesse runs these sons by there. Samuel said, it's none of them. Is this all your children? Something's not adding up here. Now watch this. This is his family. This is David's dad. He said, there remaineth yet the youngest. So immediately, he underestimates David. His own son, his own dad underestimates him. Anybody out there ever been underestimated, especially even by someone close to you, a parent maybe even? 
He says here, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. So he's doing something menial. No, no big deal. You don't want him. I've passed all these other big strapping grown boys in front of you to be king. You don't want the the, the one out there keeping the sheep. No way. Hmm. Do you see a pattern here? When God chose the Savior of the world, when God chose to come into the world as the Savior, He didn't come as some strapping intellectual figure. He didn't come as a political figure. He didn't come as something well-known to the world. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that He was a root out of dry ground. That he came in basic obscurity. He was a carpenter's son. And yet he's the savior of the entire world. So David is a perfect picture of that. All these grandiose sons passed by the way. And God said, no, 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 no. Where's that sheep keeper? Boy, what a, what a Bible. What a God. And Samuel said, verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Samuel said, Go get him. I ain't sitting down till I see him. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. So he was good looking. He was a handsome young man. He was goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he, the least that anybody expected. Matter of fact, not even the least that anybody expected. They didn't expect him at all. It's not as if they expected him less than others. They didn't expect him at all. Okay? Now, let's watch this. Stay with me. Look with me in... The next verse, let's look here in verse number 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So he, is, he has been anointed. Verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So, notice this. There's a lot of teaching here. There's a lot to learn here. There is, the, the Spirit of God came upon David. And when it did, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. But not only that, an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. What, what do you mean, preacher? God allowed Saul to be overtaken with this evil spirit. And I'm going to show you how bad it gets. Saul has lived his life fleshly, fleshly decisions independent of God. And now the Lord allows an evil spirit to overtake him. 
Verse 16, Let our Lord now command thy servant, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player and harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee. Now, let's, let's talk about this just a little bit. Verse 14, um, what, what we see here is, is uh, this was because David saw the awful result in Saul's life when God's spirit left him that he later would fear the same thing. Do you remember in Psalm 51, he said, let not thy spirit depart from me? Well, he's seen this happen in Saul's life and David doesn't want it happening in his life after he sins. Now, that's, that's a lot of hope and help to me. Here's why. When David sinned with Bathsheba and committed murder to her husband Uriah, God, yes, he dealt with the sin, but in, in the way he handled David, he didn't look at the sin as much as he was looking at the heart. As a matter of fact, let's just stop and look at this real quick. David committed far worse sins in man's eyes than what Saul did. Let's think about that. We all know, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we all know what David did. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. David then essentially committed second-degree murder, premeditated second-degree murder on her husband, and so, Saul never done anything like that. You remember what Saul did? Saul took spoils. When God told him, don't take any spoils. God took cattle. He took sheep. He took livestock. When God told him not to take livestock. Hmm. So much for measuring sin. So much for saying one's worse than the other. So much for, you know, having big sins and little sins. Because if we were to judge, if we were to look at it, if man looked at it, it's far worse what David did than what Saul did. Far worse, not even close. You see, it was the heart. It was the heart. Be careful about your judgment. Be careful about your mouth. Be careful about what you allow to enter into your mind and thereby your heart because it's God that judges the heart. Quit ranking sin because you see what David did would have been far worse than what Saul did. The problem was their hearts were far different. Worlds different. A lot of lessons here. Also, verse 14, it says the evil spirit from the Lord. Basically, what this means is that the Lord permitted an evil spirit to come on Saul to teach him what the results of sin would be. Now, verse number 16, let our Lord now continue or command thy servant which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. 
Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wow, isn't this wonderful? Through the providential hand of God, God's getting ready to let David and Saul meet one another. Unbelievable. This is God's book. Verse number 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. So they become close. God's still letting Saul fight. And basically at this point on the throne. David's not on the throne yet, but he's already anointed. Remember that as well, folks. He's anointed long before he ever gets on the throne. We got any preachers listening to this. Before God ever puts you in the place he wants you, you better get anointed. Don't get anointed after you get in that place. You better get anointed before you go. So before he David is ever in on the throne, in the place of the throne, he is anointed. And so the Bible says here, David came to Saul and he stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took in heart and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now we're going to, we're introduced to David at this point. We got a lot. This is a foundation of the relationship that we're getting ready to have moving forward between David and Saul. This playing the heart, this soothing his spirit, these types of things, they're going to be instrumental in this relationship. But there's a lot of spiritual lessons that we've learned in this chapter. A lot of them. Primarily, primarily, is understanding that it's God that looks on the heart. You don't know people's hearts. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, there, I, I'm, I'm troubled deeply. Because I know, I know what the Bible says about these evil spirits and these seducing spirits. And when you give heed to them, you give place to them, you open up the doors for them. And it says that an evil spirit from the Lord, the Lord allowed it to come to Saul through his disobedience, of course. He's anointed David. And what all of this is teaching us is that our hearts must be right with God. And the fact of the matter is, is we don't know whose hearts are right with God and whose aren't. So what our responsibility is, is to make sure ours is right with God. And that's what we see here. You remember the points I've made, the primary one being, you take what Saul did... And it's it's relevant to our lesson because you've got 
You've got God removing anointing from Saul and God giving the anointing to David. And it's so you've got these two individuals. And think about what they did wrong. Think about their sins. Think about their fall. Think about their failure. Think about why God took the anointing off of Saul and why he gave it to David. And why, later on, when David does the atrocious acts that he does, and I'm not advocating them, I'm not approving them, God despised them, that's where I've got to stand with them. But the fact of the matter is this. God did not react and deal with David in the manner in which he did Saul when David committed seemingly far worse sins than what Saul did. Why? Because of their hearts. That's why our heart has to be right with God. Saul's acts were just simple disobedience, which of course, partial obedience is all disobedience. We've learned that, but if you were to rank them, you would never rank them near as vile as what David did. And yet, and yet, God didn't take his spirit from David, but he did from Saul. Because it's got to do with the heart. I'm so thankful that God looks on the heart and he knows our hearts. And he knows where we stand in our heart with him. This, ladies and gentlemen, has been the introduction to King David. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's going to be a great study, a great lesson. We'll elaborate more in chapter number 17 on Sunday night. I love each one of you. Have a great week.